theyeshiva.net. Magid, Rabbi Yaakov Krantz, was known as a person who, for every idea, he had the perfect story. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of metaphors, anecdotes, parables, mashalim, that are attributed to the Dubna Magid. So somebody once asked him, he said to him, how is it that you always come up with the perfect story and parable to match every insight and idea. And of course, the Dubna Magid smiled and said, for that, I'll tell you a story. Or a parable. He said, there was once a fellow who went to an archer site where people shoot arrows. And uh, another person who approaches the target afterwards sees that this man literally managed to hit every single arrow in the perfect, uh, what is it called? Uh, The bullseye. Never missed the bullseye. So he asks him, he says, uh, (laughs) how did you manage to achieve this type of skill, this type of uh, precision and impeccable aim to hit the bullseye every time? So he says, I'll tell you how I do it. First I shoot, and then wherever the arrow hits, that's where I make the circle. And therefore I never miss the target. So the Dubna Magad says, I don't start with an insight. I have stories. I start with a story. I shoot, I have a story. Now I draw a circle around my story. I have a story, I say, oh. This story can explain this. This parable can explain this. I don't begin with the insight. I begin with the story. There is a very uh, strange phenomenon or exchange that we have in Parshas Pekudei. It really relates to Parshas Truma, to Tzavik, Isisa, Vayakal, and that the Gemara and Rashi bring out at the beginning of Pekudei. If you look in your source sheets, the first source... Pkudei, Perik Lamed Ches, Pasuk Chavbeis, the opening of Parshas Pkudei. Ubetzalel, Ben Uri, Ben Chur, Lamati, Yehuda, Asa, Eskola, Shetziva, Adinoi, Yismoisha. Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Chur, from the tribe of Yehuda, did everything that Hashem commanded to Moshe. Of course, referring to the fact that Betzalel was the craftsman, the artisan, who constructed, who was the man in charge on the construction of the entire Mishkan and all of its pieces of furniture, all of its vessels. Obviously, the sages sensitive to nuance are perturbed by one detail in this Pesach. Namely, Betzalel was receiving his commandments not from Hashem, but from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is the one who summoned him, is the one who appointed him, is the one who appointed the staff and instructed to him and to them what to do. Here the Pasuk says, B'tzalel ben Uri ben Chur lamata Yehuda asa k'choy la'sher tziva Hashem es Moshe. 
he did everything that Hashem told Moshe, when really we would assume it should say he did everything that Moshe told him in the name of Hashem. So Rashi says, Asher tzive Moshe ain't sivkam. Ela kol asher tzive Hashem es Moshe. Afilu dvarim shaloi omar loi rabboi hiskima daitei lemashanem ala Moshe b'sina. Doesn't say that B'tzalel did what Moshe told him. In fact, B'tzalel did not do what Moshe told him. It says B'tzalel did what Hashem, what the Rebbeinu Shalom commanded Moshe. Things that his teacher did not tell him. But his mind, his mind appreciated and was sensitive to the way, the right way of doing it. And Rashi explains. Ki Moshe tzivala B'tzalel lasas t'chila keilim v'achakach mishkem. Moshe told B'tzalel, First build the vessels, all of the caleb, all of the pieces of furniture inside the mishkan, and then you'll build the outer structure of the sanctuary. So for example, first build the ark, the aron, the table, the shulchan, the menorah, the candelabra, the mizbeach, the altar, and then you'll build the beams, the sackets, the roof, the tapestries, the curtains, the pegs, the outer structure. First the Kalim and then the Mishka. Amaloi Bitsalil Bitsalil tells Moshe, Minig Oilam Lasist Khilabai is Vakah Mesim Kalim Bitaicha. The custom of the world is first first you build the home, the shell of the home, the outer structure of them, and then you put the furniture inside the house. You never saw by construction the first thing you bring in the couches and the paintings and the chairs and the dining room table, and they say, You know what? We need some walls, we need a roof, we need a window. It's not how you do it. First you build the house and then you bring in the vessels. Minigoylam, you first make a bias and then you bring in the kalim. Oh my Moshe tells B'tzalel, You're right. <laughs> That's what I heard from Hashem. Oh my Moshe, Moshe says, B'tzal kel ha'yisa. Your name is B'tzal el, which is B'tzal kel. In the shadow of Hashem have you been. You're right, that's what God commanded me. This is what he did. First he built the Mishkan, the outer shell, and then he brought in the Kalim. The source of this Rashi is a Gemara, Meseches Brachas, Mesechta Brachas, Dafnun Hei Amir Aleph. Your second source, Brachas 55. Shmuel, the son of Nachmeni, said in the name of Rabbi Yonasim, B'tzalel al-shem chachmasi nikra. B'tzalel was not just given a random name. B'tzalel reflects his wisdom. Why? The Gemara tells the story. The B'yoynes tells the story. B'shash amalei HaKadosh Baruch HaLemoyshe leichem erle le-b'tzalel ha-seli mishkan arun v'keilim halach moyshe v'hafach. When Hashem tells Moshe, go tell B'tzalel, make for me a mishkan, a structure, and inside an ark and various vessels, Moshe went and he reversed the instruction. What does he tell B'tzalel? I say, Oren V'Kalim, and then Mishkan. Amalai, B'tzalel says, Moshe Rabbeinu min hagri shaloylam adam boyna bayez v'akach machnes l'soycha kalim v'ato imr li asay Oren V'Kalim o Mishkan Kalim shani oysel ha'eichan achnisam Very explicit. I'm going to build all of these pieces of furniture, all of these vessels, and what am I supposed to do with them? I don't have where to put them. They're going to be laying in the open on empty land, on the ground, on the earth. What should I do with them? First, I need a home to place them somewhere. Shema kach amalach ha-kadosh baruchu. I say mishkan arun v'kelem. Is it maybe possible 
that Hashem actually told you something else. Perhaps you are, you were in the shadow of God and you knew exactly what He told me. That's the story. The Gemara Brach is Daf Nun Hey Omad Aleph. Zokrashi in the Gemara. Zokrashi Shekain Hames Durim BePashas Kisisa, because this is the order in Parshas Kisisa. Re'ei Karasi B'Shem, Moshe says, See, I summoned by the name B'Tzalel and Ahaliyov. And he says, To build what? Oyel Moyed, V'Esha'aren La'edus V'Chalaparsha. He begins with Oyel Moyed. Oyel Moyed means the tent of meeting, the tent, the structure. And then the ark and the rest of the parsha. U'Moshe O'Maloi, Asei Aren V'Kelem G'Gon Shulchan U'Menoyed V'Achakach Mishka. Moshe reversed it. The svila, the svira leil of Rabbi Yonason. That Moshe actually communicated the order, the way it's articulated in Parshas Truma, where the kalim are discussed before the Mishka. Toisvus brings this out explicitly. Toisvus says, "Vim Toimar, heicha ashke konshet siva kadosh baruch halasus Mishkan tchila hadei beParshas Truma ksiv aron tchila." Toysus asks a Gavaldic a question. Hashem never told him to make the Mishkan first. He told him to make the Aram first. Take a look in Parshas Truma. Speak to the Jewish people. Ask, to, ask of them to give contributions. It's all Hashem speaking. What's the first thing he says they should make? First thing is an Aram. And then after the Aram you have the Kapoiris. And then you have the Kruvim. And then you have the Shulchan. And then you have the Menorah. Later he gets to the Ureas, he gets to the beams, but he actually first begins with the vessels. The commandment of Hashem to Moshe begins actually with the Caleb. In Parshas Kisisa, it says Hashem tells Moshe to build the oil Moyed and the Aaron. So Parshas Truma meaning is not what Hashem told Moshe, it's the way what Moshe experienced. What, how Moshe perceived God's commandment to him to first make the Kalim, but actually the commandment itself is articulated in Parshas Kisisa, and that's where B'tzalel caught on to what Hashem told Moshe, not what Moshe told him. And that's why he doesn't say B'tzalel did what Moshe said, it says he did what Hashem told Moshe, not what Moshe told him, because they had this argument. This is the end of the story. Today we want to explore what is the meaning of the story. How are we to understand this? Why would Moshe change the order which Hashem instructed him? Did Moshe forget? If he forgot, he only forgot this detail? He didn't forget. Moshe generally, it looks like, had a pretty good memory. So you're going to say he distorted this? He distorted it intentionally? If he distorted this, what else did he distort? How do we trust Moshe Rabbeinu? Regardless, why would he distort this? What type of uh, people make distortions to fulfill some type of agenda? Even people on our level, what type of agenda, what type of uh, ulterior motive would you have in changing this order? Did he distort it unintentionally? Did he think it's insignificant? Why would he think it's insignificant if Hashem told this to him? The entire incident seems uniquely strange and enigmatic. 
But let's go one step further. Why was Moshe so impressed by Betzalel's response to the point that Moshe says, Betzal Kale Hayisa, you must be in the shadow of God. I mean, with all due respect to Betzalel, you don't have to be a genius, a rocket scientist, or have a PhD in architecture or construction to understand that first you build a house and then you put in the furniture. But Salil says, Hey where am I going to put in the Kalim? Hashem could have not told this to you. And Moshe says, Wow, you're in the shadow of God. It seems like Betzalel is speaking straight common sense. We do this every day of our lives. You want to clean up, you want to build a house, you first build a house, then you bring in the Kalim. Moshe was so moved, he was so impressed by Betzalel's words, he felt that there was like a, a divine inspiration here. Betzel Kel Hayisa. Betzalel himself says, This is what everybody does. I'm just telling you what everybody does. Moshe says, Wow, something special. Which brings us to the next question. Moshe didn't know this. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that first you build a house and then you bring in the couches and the chairs and the tables. Moshe didn't understand that the Menorah and the Shulchan and the Aaron have to be inside something. You need some beams, you need a wall, you need a roof, you need a structure. This was Betzalel's Chiddush to him. Which brings us to the next question. Why did Betzalel even question Moshe Rabbeinu? Every mitzvah is understood. Many mitzvahs that are not comprehensible. Moshe told him to do it. Moshe told him to do it. So he has a question, he has a question. Everything Moshe told him he understood, the exact measurements of the Shulchan and the Aaron, he did understand. He could have also asked the question, why three bechers? Why this type of button? Why this? Why that? He didn't ask. Or certainly not recorded if he asked. Moshe said to do it, do it. Here, Betzalel felt that he has the right to challenge it. Why? What gave him the right to challenge it suddenly? He had this confidence to contradict Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Even a bigger question, a little boy questioning, yeah? Right? You're saying they should have told him, quiet. You're very impressed with Moshe. Okay, that's true too. He's saying today's day if a child tells the chief rabbi, you sure you got it right? You're challenging me? Moshe says you're right. Sorry. Sorry, but sell Kela Yisa. This tells you who Moshe Rabbeinu is. Now obviously I ask these questions rhetorical. If Moshe was capable of distorting the word of God, then the whole Judaism becomes absolutely meaningless. Back to our Amuna series. <laughs> Amuna doesn't mean blind faith. Emunah means certainty. If there's even a, 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 a iota of a question, if Moshe Rabbeinu could be trusted, absolutely, a hundred percent, a thousand percent, if without that, the whole structure of Yiddishkeit becomes futile, pointless, and meaningless, and absurd. What if Moshe one day had a bad day? He had a bad day. He decided, you know what, I like what the mezuzah looks like. Shem never told the Jewish people to put a mezuzah on the door, never told us to put on tefillin. We heard it all from Moshe. It's not one of the Ten Commandments to put on tefillin. We heard it all from Moshe. 
Boisha had a bad day. He had a cold. He had a bad cough. He was in a bad mood. He got into a fight with Yisra. Ichveis, what happened? Moshe had a lot of people who nudged him, who drove him crazy. So obviously, we have to be honest about ourselves. If Moshe was this person who can, is capable of distorting even a subtlety, then the entire essence of Torah becomes a uh, very weak and frail structure. But finally, there's maybe the most important question, or maybe the most practical question. What bothered B'Tzalel? The entire dialogue seems very strange. Moshe did not tell B'Tzalel to craft the vessels and place them on an empty land outdoors before encircling it with a structure. That's not what he said. He told him to create the vessels before he built the beams and the roof. Moshe never said, make a nara, make a shulcha, make a nara, and set them up on display outside. He said, build them. I want to ask you a question. When the Jews were traveling in the Midbar, there was no Mishka. What did they do with the Kalim? They were traveling a lot. Forty years they were traveling. What did they do with all the vessels? They didn't have a structure. The answer is, they packed them up. <laughs> they packed them up. They didn't leave them outside. They packed them up. There was something called Big Day Hasrat. Every keli had its own unique garment, its own sack, its own, uh, uh, so to speak, cloak, in which you dressed it up. It's discussed at the end of Parshas Bamidbar, in detail, how the Levium and the Koyanim used to uh, take apart the Mishka and pack up all the pieces of furniture and transport it from one place to another place. That's what they did. Moshe ever told B'Tzalel to build kelim and make a display outside and then build a wall around it? To shoot an arrow and then make a circle around it? He never said that. He said, build Caleb, build Caleb. What's the problem? What are you going to do with the Caleb? You'll find somewhere. You'll put it somewhere. You'll put it somewhere. And then you'll build a structure. And then you'll put in the Caleb. Why was there such an issue here? To the point that B'tzalel challenges Moshe, and then Moshe admits. Moshe could have said, you misunderstood me. I said to build the Caleb first. A lot has been written on this over the generations. Today we're going to explore two perspectives. Obviously there's a depth here. There's a deeper layer of understanding in this story that has to be understood, has to be unraveled, has to be deciphered. So we're going to explore two perspectives. One is the pre-tzadik, Reptzadik HaKoyen of Lublin, in his Sefer, in his work pre-tzadik, in Parshas Baaloischa explores this story from one perspective, and the Tzemach Tzedek in the Sefer Eir HaTayr in Parshas Kisisa explores the story from a different perspective. The two are not very remotely distant from each other, quite close to each other, but it's still different perspectives or different angles. We'll begin with the Eir HaTayr, with the Tzemach Tzedek's interpretation. And then we'll go to the Ptodek HaKoyen of Lublin's interpretation. Let's see, your last source, Eirat Torah Parshas Kisisa. This was written by the Tzamach Tzedek. B'tzalel Omar Gamba Zeyiriyas Koydmim T'chilo Makifim V'acha Kach 
But Saul said you first have to have the areas. The areas are the roofs, the tapestries, the mosaic tapestries on top of the Mishkan. First Makifim, and then Pnimius. Literally, first that which surrounds, and then that which is inside. Moshe discussed it the way it's in strategy and thought, where the ultimate objective is there should be a revelation in Pnimius inside. Betzalel is called Betzalel ben Uri ben Chur. Chur, doidi sholach yodoi min achur. in Shir Hashirim, my beloved one, sent forth his arm through the hole. Rak derech chur. Mashgiach min achaloinus meitzitz min He supervises from the windows and he peeks through the charakim, the, the cracks. Chaloin is psichas halev. A window means an open heart. Simchu tzadikim b'ashem. Charakim, the little cracks, is a lev nishbor. It's a crack, a crack in the heart. V'zeu inyan chur, nekev shemekabeles rak al-yedei nekev. Chur is a hole, the light is only experienced through a hole. You understand what he says? <laughs> I'll try to explain it. Every project in life has to include two components. In the language of Svarim, of Machshava, Kabbalah, Hasidus, the two components are called Oiris and Kalim. Oir means light, energy. Kalim means containers or vessels. Not to confuse with the word Kalim we used before, but just two general concepts in life. There is the inner vision... And there is the outer structure allowing the vision to actually be implemented. A writer, an artist, a musician, a builder may have the most brilliant idea. Most brilliant idea for a manuscript, for a company, for a book, for a piece of art, whatever it may be. But that is only a small part of the work. Then you have to implement it. To implement it is a whole new process. It's not enough to have the oil, the energy, the vitality, the passion. You need to be able to create a structure, the keli, that contains the oil. The person has to be able to write it. And then he has to be able to sell it. He has to find an editor and a publisher. And that in itself is extremely time-consuming. And sometimes you have great talents... And they died without a dollar to their name. Their basement was filled with pieces of art. And now 500 years later, what they couldn't sell for two and a half dollars when they were alive, sells for 15 million dollars on a bad day. They didn't have the, 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 the business component of it. You have artists and you have businessmen. Artists are very creative, but they're often creative in their own mind. And businessmen always look at the bottom line. They look at the market, they look at the audience, they look what's going to make a buck, what's going to make a dollar. It's two different talents, two different skills. Some people are extraordinary when it comes to iris. When it comes to vision and energy, they're always having ideas. They build more companies in a day than some people build in a lifetime, but it's all in their mind. In their mind, they wake up and they already have a billion dollars in the bank. Forty years later, they're still borrowing money for Shabbos, but it's no, no difference. On paper, or in their mind, or in their vision, they build, they conquer, they change the world. 
There are people who are very different. They're very practical. They're very structured. They may not be very creative and very visionary. They're not maybe so artistic and full of imagination, but they're very good with practicalities, with the bottom line. If two people are married to each other, it's very interesting, the marriage. The Oyer and the Keli. So, there's nothing in life that does not need a vision, and there's nothing in life that does not need an outer structure. You always need the two. There's the passion, the energy, the creativity, and then there is the ability to implement it. The most beautiful piece of art needs the right frame. And often art without a frame is not appreciated. And I mean by a frame, not only the physical frame of a piece of art, but what the frame represents. Art without a frame, if the art is not packaged, if it's not presented, if it's not displayed, you can have the most delicious, beautiful piece of art and it often remains uh, sadly uh, non-appreciated. A few years ago, it's interesting, a few years ago, uh, the Washington Post did a very interesting experiment. They took one of the greatest violinists living today, happens to be a Jewish guy, his name is Joshua Bell. He's literally one of the top violinists living today. And they dressed him up like somewhat of a homeless man. You know, simple t-shirt with a, with a baseball cap, pretty dirty. And they had him play on the subway. Eight o'clock in the morning in Washington, D.C., where thousands and thousands and thousands of people walk by. And he's there with a little box for people to throw in their nickels and their dimes. He's playing his violin, a Stradivarius, the most, one of the best violins available in the world, known as a Strata Stradivarius, and he played for almost an hour. The night before, he had a concert with 50,000 people, and he probably made on the job two, $300,000. And here he was in the subway, and people are walking by, and they videoed it. They videoed it. And it's almost incredibly sad and ironical. The same cultured, sophisticated people who would swear that they appreciate the real music and this is who they are, they didn't even bother to stop. Children stopped and their parents slept them away. It was a fascinating, fascinating experiment to demonstrate the vanity of the world. If the art comes without a frame, it's not art. Everything has to be framed and packaged. In other words, most people have to be told that something is good in order for them to believe it's good. Even though we'll never admit that. Oh, of course I know it's good. Please, you know nothing. If they tell you it's good, it's good. If they tell you it's beautiful, it's beautiful. If they tell you it's unbelievable music, it's unbelievable music. If they don't, if it's a subway, of course not. Almost very, very few people stopped. Almost nobody. Children, yeah. Children, that was the common denominator. <laughs> and their parents slept them away. We have to go to school. And you had their top Washington people. Professionals, lawyers and doctors and various professionals who take the subway there. Uh, people who work in politics. Washington this year was a, was a very... Uh, happened to be there once at the subway station. I saw what it's like. Art without a frame, is it considered art? So, 
You want to build a website, you want to build a shul, you want to build a community, you want to build an organization, you want to build a business, you want to build a company, you want to build a home, whatever it is. You have dreams and energies and creative passions and then you need the facilities, you need overhead, you need, a fire, you need money, you need administrators, you need plans. And, sh- and here is where a whole new challenge develops. Now the question is, which comes first? <laughs> what comes first in life? The vision or the structure? The air or the keli? The form or the substance? The art or the frame? The pnimi or the chitzayim? The inside or the outside? What comes first? What do you think? What should come first? You say everybody's different. What should come first? Right? So now let's talk in the Mishkan. You have also, so to speak, two parts. You have the outer structure. That's what you see from the outside. But the structure contained a whole inner, a whole, in, a whole interior, a whole interior Mishkan. The Heichel and the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the Kalim and everything else. And now the question is, what in life should come first? Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to Batzalel. What does he speak about first? He speaks first about the Pnimius of the Mishkan. What's inside the Mishkan? So he speaks about the Aaron, he speaks about the Shulchan, he speaks about the Menorah, the Mizbeach, and so forth. After you created your internal vision, after you understand what your purpose is, after you know what you want to really, really accomplish, what your mission statement is, after you crystallized your entire objective, now you discuss the outer structure of it. Now you discuss the shell. Now you build the house around it. First you identify the pnimius, and then you go into the world of the makif. First you identify the inner music, and then you find the method to make it happen, to build the structures, to build the containers that will facilitate it and will implement it. First you have your arin, etc., and then you build your curtains and your pegs and your beams and so forth. Comes B'Tzalel and says, Moshe, there's something called Minag What's Minag The way of the world is not that way. In an idealistic and perfect reality, frame follows art. Form follows substance. Implementation follows vision. But we live in a world, where we can't always capture the essence if we don't build the form. We live in a world where if you wait till you get your vision perfectly on target... You may wait forever. If you wait till you develop the full light without creating kalim, you may never be successful. In the real world, you're right. But minig ha'olam, in hogoy shaloylam, is very different. What is the argument between the two? What is the nature of the argument? And who's right at the end of the day? Moshe B'tzalo. The truth is, on one level, they're both right. It just depends which stage we're talking about. Moshe is talking about the stage of machshava, 
But Saul is talking about the stage of Misa. There's the world of thought and the world of action. Moshe was the architect, but Saul was the contractor. From the architect's perspective, the art precedes the frame. The vision must come before the structure. From the contractor's perspective, it's the other way around. Let's give uh, two practical examples. When you're planning your business in your mind or on paper, what do you start off with? You start off with your vision. What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? You have to start off with the neshama, with the inner, the is the inner soul of your business. But that's in your mind. Now when you want to get it off the ground, what do you start off with? Now you have to start off with practical details. You have to get money. So now you have to get on the phone and you have to start meeting with possible investors. And you have to start selling. Now you have to have a place. Now you have to hire a secretary. Now you have to have hire another person. Now you have overhead expenses. Now you have to start paying a mortgage. So the process in your mind begins with the vision. But to implement it, you can't implement your vision without getting into the nitty-gritty of external details to help you build. Finally, when you got it all together, hopefully at the end, you get back to your vision. We say it in the Chadoidi, Soif Maisa, Bemachshavat Chila. The last deed is the first thought. The initial thought only materializes at the end. The initial thought was the initial planning, but ultimately that I will only find and discover all the way at the end. Soif Maisa is ultimately the Machshavat Chila. Another example, maybe more on a personal level, an emotional level, you'll have, let's say, a young man and a young woman who are planning their life together. They're meeting each other to get married. And if they have those opportunities, what do they discuss? What do they discuss? What should they discuss? <laughs> what should they discuss? They should discuss what life together is going to look like. They should discuss an inner vision of what they want their life together to be like, what they want their home to look like, what they want their family to look like, what their values are, what makes them sad, what makes them happy, what makes them tick, who they are, as many of you did. What type of atmosphere they would like to have in their house, what are they afraid of, etc., in other words, deal with the internal makeup of the relationship. But once that happens, once they start living together, as we all know, what happens is people become consumed in creating structure. Now you have to pay rent, you have to find a house. Now you're dealing with this detail and that detail, and this issue and that issue. Now you have to take out the garbage and fix the leaks. Now you have to deal with this problem and that problem. So in actuality, you get often caught up in the structure in order to be able to facilitate the vision. In Machshava, you can begin with vision. But in Maisa, you have to begin with the outer structure in order to be able to implement your vision. Because if not, you won't be able to have it. And only at the end, Soif Maisa b'Machshava Tchila. This is even before they have children. Now once they have children, who all the dreams and all the visions go flying out the window. You could take all your theories and cast them out into the dustbin. Now it's about changing diapers, running to the doctor, cleaning up the mess. 
doing the laundry, and if you can get to bed sane, you are doing quite well, better than most people. We become busy with maintaining the structure of family life, and many people even forget that there was once an inner soul, an inner vision, an inner uh, emotion that brought them together. So when Moshe speaks to Betzalel, how does Moshe speak to Betzalel? Moshe speaks to Betzalel and he says, first work on the interior, then you work at the exterior. It's not a mistake and it's not a distortion. When Hashem, who is beyond time, tells Moshe Rabbeinu about the vision of the Mishkan, what Moshe experiences first and what Moshe communicates first is... Always the pnimius, always the interior structure. In Moshe's world, vision always comes first. You plan the project and the interior always takes precedence. It's not, but for Moshe, it's not just an issue of time. For Moshe, it's an issue that in life, the pnimius precedes the chitzonius, the inner precedes the outer. When you're building a home for Hashem, the outer reality has to yield to the internal reality. The form grows out from the substance. The frame grows from the art. But Saul speaks about minhega oilam. The word oilam comes from the word helam. The Gemara says in Psachim, helam means concealment. Minhega oilam means the custom of a place of concealment. We live in a world where the outer structure is not only significant, but first of all, in the world of action, it must come first. What is more, often in life, it's very difficult for people who live with many concealments to be able to articulate what their inner vision truly is. And if they wait for it, it won't happen. So therefore, minigailam is that you have to begin with structure. You have to begin with doing things. Ah, you don't know exactly what the inner vision is. Ah, you don't have it fully developed inside. I, the Chitzonius, is not following the Pnimius. But in Minhag Ha'olam, if you'll wait till your Pnimius is perfect, you may wait for eternity, as we said. So sometimes you have to create Kalim, you have to create facilitators, and they themselves will draw the inspiration. They themselves will draw the energy. They themselves will make it happen. Sometimes you have to make an outer structure, and that structure itself will start creating visions. There are people who think and dream, and that's what they do their whole life. And sometimes you have to tell them, start doing. But I still haven't figured it out. I need another 25 years. No, no, start doing. And you learn from mistakes. And you'll see you wasted your time, you'll start again. And you have to fix this, you'll fix this. Don't be afraid. You'll start with your kalim, and your kalim will be mamshachar, people who wait to start producing vision till the vision is impeccable and flawless, and then they go to 1,000 experts, and everyone has a different opinion. 40 years later, they're still wondering why their life looks a certain way. In an idealistic world, it's great. But very few of us live in a perfect world. We live in a world of concealment. And a world of concealment, trial and error is the name of the game. Do it. Do it. Ah, you only have an outer structure. You don't even know exactly what you're going to put in. You know what? You'll have a place. Things will start coming in. And if you have to change, you'll change. Sometimes you have to alter your vision based on your structure. 
You can't begin completely with a structure without a vision. In your mind, you have to begin with a vision, which is why Moshe Rabbeinu's vision remains eternal, even after what Betzalel said. Because Moshe Rabbeinu's vision remains the true vision. But Betzalel says, is, that number one in action, the bias precedes the kalim, only soif and number two, sometimes, that's the only thing we have to begin with. Go, jump in, start, even though it's still nebulous and it's not clear, but go do something. And the maise will already create oir. The kalim, the vessels, will already draw forth energies and inspiration that you didn't imagine. Don't wait till you have it all figured out. Especially if you're a complicated and a sensitive and a deep person. And therefore, we can't always afford to begin with the fruit. Sometimes we have to begin with the shell. And from the shell we get to the fruit. And that is why Moshe Rabbeinu tells B'Tzalel, B'Tzel Kel Hayisa. You have been in the shadow of God. What does a shadow? What is a shadow? When there's light shining, there's no shadow, there's light. When the light is obstructed by a building, by a person, by a tree, light is shining and the light gets blocked. So the blockage casts a shadow. Moshe Rabbeinu says, You have been in the shadow of Hashem. The shadow reflects the source, but only through a blockage. Only through obstruction. Moshe Rabbeinu's world is the world of Oyr, not the world of shadows. He's the world of light. It says when Moshe comes down at the end of Kisisa, Vilayada Kikaran Moshe. The skin of Moshe's face was shining. So the Shalah says that Oyr is the same pronunciation like Oyr. There's Oyr with an Aleph and Oyr with an Ayin. Oyr with an Aleph is light. Oyr with an Ayin is skin. A cover-up, a cloak. When Adam and Chava sinned, it says, Hashem made for them kosnas, oir. Tunics of leather, oir. Skin of an animal is called oir. He made tunics of leather. So the Medrash says, B'tayrasi shoreb meir matzu, shakosuf kosnas oir with an olive. In the Sefer of Reb Meir, it says, Hashem made for Adam and Chava tunics of light, not tunics of leather. Not oir with an ayin, but oir with an olive. Okay, you have to understand how that Sefer Torah was kosher. If a, if, a, if a word was altered, does it mean literally? Does it mean, does it mean conceptually? Reb Meir came from the word oir. Meir is oir. Reb Meir in the oir, he saw the oir. He didn't see the oir as a blockage. He saw the oir as a vehicle for light. So the Shalah says, Kikaran oir pnei Moshe. When Moshe came down, his oir became oir. There was no leather, there was no herb blocking. The shell was transparent for the fruit. There was no partition. Moshe doesn't live in shadows. Moshe lives in the world of light. In the world of light, the bias always follows the kalim. The makif follows the pnimi. The outer shell, the outer structure grows out from the inner vision, from the inner passion. Your life always is driven by an inner compass. You wake up, there's two types of people who wake up in the morning. One person wakes up and he has a clear vision of who he is, why he lives in this world, and what he's supposed to accomplish today. And nothing derails anybody who wakes up like that. You know who you are, 
You know why your soul is in this world, and you know what your vision is, and nothing will derail you. You have a compass, and you follow that. Instincts, challenges, people with their comments, people who haven't taken their coffee yet in the morning in shul, and therefore they tell you what they tell you. Nothing derails him. He is driven by completely an inner oil, an inner light, that drives the day, drives his or her work. And it's every day and every week and every month and every year. <laughs> but we can't all afford to live this way. And if you say, I'm not getting out of bed until I figure out who I am, why my soul came down into this world, and what exactly my vision is, you might stay in bed for a few decades or a few centuries. In fact, we know quite a few people who do just that. Because we don't live in a world of light, we live in a world of oil. I don't know always who I am. If you ever find out who you are, that's pretty good. I have a friend who's very into dreams. So he called me the other day and he says, you know, you should really get into your dreams. If you start figuring out your dreams, you'll know a lot about yourself. So I told him it's a wonderful idea, but I'm still trying to figure myself out when I'm awake. Once I finish figuring myself out when I'm awake, then I'll go to the next level of when I'm dreaming. In the world of Oilam, in the world of Helam, in the world of shadows, Betzalel is os, Betzalel wants light. But it's, he, we appreciate that in our world the light gets blocked. And what happens when the light gets blocked? You don't run away. You start living. You start working. You know that you have to build a house for God and you start building. You start building structures. And you know what happens? That itself crystallizes visions. That itself inspires vision. That itself opens up opportunities. It opens you up to new realities and your Mishkan is built. And Moshe Rabbeinu, in one of his great moments, he tells Betzalo, you live in the shadow of God. That's exactly what Hashem wants. That's exactly what Hashem wants in order to build a Mishkan in this world. If you're building a Mishkan in Moshe's, when Moshe speaks... In other words, when Moshe is building a Mishkan with his mouth, of course you have to start with vision. But when Betzalel needs to implement in the world of Maisa and in the world of concealment, Betzalel has to begin with the outer structure and then go to the inner structure. Now, of course, it's very relevant to many people's lives because you'll see, including people sitting in this room, any meaningful project you ever get involved in, whether it's building an organization, building an institution, building a moisid, building a shul, building a community, building a family, building something beautiful, something inspiring, something meaningful. You want to found a school, you want to found a charity, a website, whatever it is, any area, in Gashmias or in Ruchnias or in both. What will happen is, you will have great visions. You'll even transcribe them on paper. You'll even share them with a friend or two who will say you're a genius. And now starts getting it done. And when you want to get it done, hoo-hoo. First of all, everybody you speak to will tell you that you're an idiot. Second of all, they'll tell you that another 100,000 people tried to do it and everybody failed. And they're now oizgeklapt to hishainus on hishainerab. They feel like failures, don't feel like a failure, stay away from it. And suddenly what happens is powerful dreams, even if you hold on to them, they turn into endless, tedious meetings that have to deal with details and nitty-gritty of administration issues. Somebody once told me they created a school. 
And they thought creating a school was about a vision of education. And they had a vision of education. And then they had to implement it. And they realized that 99% of the time, they were fighting with janitors. They were fighting with banks. They were fighting with administrators. They were trying to get the food. The food wasn't ordered and there was no toilet paper in the bathroom. And suddenly your whole vision becomes about toilet paper in the bathroom. There's no toilet paper in the bathroom. So what he told me from a grand vision of educating a new generation, I now think most of the day about toilet paper. It was a great metaphor. It was a great metaphor for life. And it's very easy to get discouraged. It's very easy to get discouraged. Somebody told me he was celebrating his 70th birthday. So his children and grandchildren made a video. And the video, they summed up 70 years of life. You know, with... uh, with, uh, what's it called, uh, slides, slides of all the years. So he told this person, this grandfather told me, he was watching, he said he was crying. I said, what made you most emotional? He said, what made you most emotional is, you know, he says, you come home every day, you're exhausted, you're tired. There's supper and there's homework and there's cleaning up and there's bathing the kids and there's putting them to bed and there's trying to put yourself to bed. And there's dealing with the telephone bills and this bill and that issue. And then there's this crisis and then there's running here. And then this one needs stitches. And this one has an infection, etc., etc. And it doesn't look like it adds up to anything. You're just completely, if you're a good person and you're serious, you become consumed by the detail. It doesn't add up to anything. It doesn't look like it adds up to anything. It's just you're putting out fires, basically. You're trying to stay sane, to keep your spouse insane, sane. <laughs> or not <laughs> and uh, just trying to keep it together and he says when he saw the video and it was part of video and part slides you see how all the details make up a cohesive picture and it gets very emotional because you see the string theory you see the, 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 a vision that, 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 that dominates that pervades but you can't you can't always live with that in the moment because then you remain aloof, you remain detached. You have to become entrenched on the boiler level. You have to get into the, you have to get into life. And when you get into life, it becomes very, very consuming. But at the end, you get to see that cohesive picture. But it's very difficult for people because they often want to remain aloof. They want to stay away. They only want to have the bird's eye view. They only want, you know, you want to see life, you just want to see the vision. But it, life is not min it doesn't work this way. If you live in heaven, if you live in a place of oir, not oir, then you could see it that way. You look at all the details and you just see that it's, it's part of an inner vision. But in min in a world of oilam, we have to go into the world of prat, the world of details and nuances and nitty-gritty technical things. And yet... Moshe's vision still remains Moshe's vision because you always have to remember that as much as possible you need to align the outer shell with the inner structure. You can't get completely lost. But we could be comforted by the fact that in the first major project that the Jewish people built, the Mishkan, the home of Hashem, there too it wasn't so simple. There too Moshe Rabbeinu thought the vision can guide everything and Betzalel said, no. Already during the construction of the house of Hashem, the issue came up immediately. Even Moshe understood and consented that in our world, 
We have to begin with the outer to reach the inner. We begin with the shadow to access the light. We work through the husk to obtain the fruit. In fact, B'tzalel ben Uri ben Chur. B'tzalel is the shadow, tzel. Uri is light, and Churi is a whole, Chur. The way to access the light is through the shadow. And the reason is because the light is constricted. It comes through a hole, comes through a nekev. There's the light that comes through an open window or an open place. And then there's meitzitz menacharakim. There's cracks. Cracks means, he says, it comes with mistakes. It comes with humility. I tried out one thing and it didn't work and I have to throw it out. They say two people fail in life. People who don't have a plan and people who stick to their plan. If you don't have a plan, you're going to fail. If you don't have a vision, you're going to fail. But if you stick to your plan, oy vavoy. If you remain stuck, this is it. You're not ready to reevaluate. You're not ready to say after five years, you know what? I didn't know what I was doing. This was foolish. I'm wasting my time. Some people... They become invested in their own vision and they start worshipping it and they become their greatest enemy. Because they can't listen to outer criticism or inner criticism that says, you know what? Control, alt, delete, start over again. Have the courage to say, maybe it was a waste of time, let's start over again. That's called metzitz menacharakim. That's I find God through cracks. I find God through trial and error, through falling and then coming back again. And rising up again. Because I don't live in a world of oil with an aleph. I live in a world of kostnas oil with an ayin. The light is concealed and I have to work hard on accessing it. I live in a world with our obstructions and I have to access the light through shadows. So you'll access the light through shadows. But sail keil Perspective number one. Anybody wants to say anything or have questions? Yeah. Yes. You're right, you're right. But even a couple needs vision. You have to have vision. You need to start off with a vision. But life, by definition, it's very hard to always remain so connected to that vision and not get consumed by the outer responsibilities. It's just the way it is. So that's why we always have to reevaluate. We have to come back to it. But we have to be comforted by the fact that when you go into that world of structure, it's going to be consuming. And that's what Batsalo tells Moshe. Minega Oilam is... If we wait for that oil and have that guide us always, we may never get anywhere. In the world of Maisa, you have to begin with Kalim. With, you have to begin with structure. And furthermore, sometimes you lose sight of a little bit of the light. But you have to go. You have to trust the power of action, the power of movement, the power of creating outer structures. And when you create outer shells, what happens is it draws in energy. There's an expression in Sifri Chesidus, Kalim are mamshich oir. When you create containers, it brings forth the light. I can't always begin with the light. I sometimes have to create containers. Start doing. You start doing things, you create kalim, reikim, altamiti, create vessels, and things start coming in. We see this. 
sometimes in writing, yeah? It's people who write. I have nothing to write about. There's nothing, it's called a mental, it's a writer's block. It's like a mental block. You start writing. You start writing. And in that process, there's like a sudden surge. A surge of inspiration. You didn't know where it came from. I can't wait always for the inner flow. Yeah. Somebody asks me to help them, to do them a favor. I can't wait till I'm passionately in the mood. Start doing things. Start helping. Stretch out your heart. Stretch out your hand. You're not in the mood. You're not feeling. You don't know exactly where it's going to go. The actions itself define you. You'll many, the greatest stories of success don't always begin with a person. You know, they always tell you, follow your dreams. They love today in all the speeches, universities, they tell the students, follow your dreams. And I say, yes, but sometimes you don't have any dreams. So what are you supposed to follow? They say, follow your dreams. You have a dream, go do it. A lot of people I know, they don't have dreams. They have nightmares. (laughs) They don't have dreams. Somebody once said, uh, why are people in New York so uptight and, and, and so depressed? And so nervous and so anxious. They said you would also be if the light at the end of, the tu- of your tunnel was New Jersey. Okay. You know what I mean? They're, they're, the light at the end of their tunnel is New Jersey. It's not the, this grandiose dream. They say, follow your dreams. Follow your passions. Uh, some people don't have big passions. Their passions is they want to eat sushi. And even that's not such a passion. So you say follow, follow. It's great. If you have a dream, yeah, follow your dream. Sometimes... The dream will follow you if you get involved. (laughs) Sometimes you can't follow your dream. Let the dream follow your life. You live and dreams are created from life. Yeah, you want to say something? Simchut Tzadikim Bashem, that's the Chaloin, Mashgiach Menachaloinus. That's not Charakim. Charakim is a Leiv Nishboy, there's a crack. It's the humility that comes from making mistakes. Simchut Sadikim Bashem is the openness, the experience of openness, so there's no trial and error. Versus the Charakim, which represents two relationships with Hashem. Sometimes Hashem looks out from the window. When Hashem looks out from the window, when you're looking at me from the window, or you're looking at me through the crack, what's the difference? What's the difference if somebody's looking at me throughout the, from the window, and somebody's looking at me through a... Uh, a door hole through a crack. What's the difference? The difference is, if you're looking at me through the window, I see you looking at me. If you're looking at me through the crack, you see me, but I don't see you. Mashgiach menachaloinus is, Hashem is looking at me, and I see it. It's reciprocal. Meitzitz menacharaka means He's also looking at me, but I don't see it. From my perspective, I'm alone in the world. From my perspective, I'm in a world of shadows. I'm not in a world of light. I don't see him. He sees me. So he's completely involved in my life. But I can't see it. I'm on my own. Because I'm on my own. Therefore I can't see the light in this. And therefore I have to work through my system. Let's now go to Reb Tzadik HaKoyen Milublin. It's also in the source sheets. It's a few pages by him. It's a long discussion. I'm just going to read this paragraph and then explain.
You know, let me give an introduction. I think it'll be easier. Let me give an introduction to what he says. And, uh, and then we'll see it inside. There's a medrash in Parshish Baloischa, famous medrash. Hashem told Moshe to build the menorah, and he couldn't. He told him once, he told him twice, he told him many times, he tried, he couldn't. Finally, it says Hashem showed him a menorah made of fire. Menorah Shalesh. And he said, here, replicate this. And Moshe couldn't. So the Medrash Rabbah says, Hashem said, you know what, give it to Betzalel, he'll make it. And he gives the instructions to Betzalel, and Betzalel makes the menorah. And Moshe says, wow, Betzalel Kel Hayisa. You must be in the shadow of God. Moshe said, Hashem told me once, twice, three times, I couldn't. You, I give the job and you do it. Number one. Number two, Reb Tzadik brings this Gemara here in Brachas. Moshe told Betzalel to make the Aaron make the Aaron and then the Mishkan. And he said, no, Hashem wants it the other way. And Moshe said, oh, Betzal Kelayis. And he says, why is it these two things that Betzalel, so to speak, was superior over Moshe? Something is strange. Something is amiss. So he explains it, says the Medrash over there brings another story. That when Hashem told Moshe to build a menorah and light the menorah every day in the Mishkan, Aaron lit the Koyin, lit the menorah every day in the Mishkan, the Beis Hamikdash, the Jews responded and they said, the Mishkan is a place where Hashem dwells. He needs our light. We're going to light a menorah to make light for Him. You are the light of the world, HaKadosh Baruch You need our light. And the Medrash tells a story. There was a Pikeach and there was a Pikeach and a Summa. There was a, uh, somebody who could see and somebody who couldn't see was blind. And the blind man was following the man with vision throughout the desert. And finally they reached their destination. They came into the house. And the man who sees turns to the man who's blind and he says, Why don't you light up? Why don't you make a fire in the house? I should be able to see. So he says, Me? Outside, you were the one who was guiding me. And now suddenly we came to the house, you need me to light a fire for you? I'm the blind one, you're the one who sees. So the Medrash says, he responded and said, I don't want that you should always be indebted to me. I don't want you should always feel that you're blind and I'm the one who gives you light. I want you should feel that you also gave me, you're the lighting the fire in the house. That's what he says. So Hashem told the Jews the same thing. I want you should light the menorah in the, in the Beis HaMikdash. I want you should give me light just like I gave you light. That's the Medrash Rabbah says in Parshas Baloyzch. What is the meaning of this? So Reb Tzaddik has a fascinating interpretation. He says Yiddishkeit has two streams, two dimensions. We call them Teresh HaBiksav and Teresh HaBalpeh. Teresh HaBiksav, of course, is the text of Teresh that Hashem gave to Moshe. Teresh HaBalpeh is what has been developed and deduced over millennia by Jews in every generation. Of course, based on the formulas that Moshe Rabbeinu gave them, gave them at Mount Sinai. No one has Rabbi Shmuel, Lama, Bishloishes, The various methods, methodology of interpretation and deduction through which you explain Torah. But this required the human mind throughout history. Now there's always a big question. If Torah Shabbat is what God wants us to do, why didn't He give it to us? Could have been much simpler. Many of the debates throughout Jewish history was about Torah Shabbat. Who are the rabbis to tell me what to do? Who are the sages to tell me what I could do on Shabbos, what I can do on Shabbos, what I do on Yom Tov, what I don't do on Yom Tov, what I do in the morning? Who are they? 
If God wants it, let him say it. The whole question of Teresh The truth is, it's a sensitive question. Because there's two types of Balpeh. If somebody, a rabbi, wakes up in the morning and he says, you know what, I'm in the mood of making up some new minhag or a new chumrah. And he says it, then this has nothing to do with Torah. This has to do with his own uh, issues. I have no obligation towards it. The only, in other words, if a rabbi has power, he's not a rabbi. The only time a real rabbi has power is if he's powerless. If he sees his entire essence as simply a conduit for Torah. The moment... He believes he has power, never trust him. He becomes one of the most dangerous people around. The moment he thinks it's about him, you can't trust him. The only way you could trust him is if his entire identity he sees as a conduit for the truth of Torah. All I am here for is to articulate and explain what Torah is. The moment there's an agenda, it becomes the most dangerous issue. Because if I'm not a rabbi and I have agendas, everybody knows I have agendas. But if I'm a Rebbe, if I'm a Rabbi, if I'm one of the Chacham and I have agendas, ooh, now it's blamed on God, so now my agenda and God's agenda becomes one, then you become a very dangerous person. So the prerequisite for the Chachme Torah Shabbal is always complete loyalty and unwavering commitment to what is the truth of Torah. Why are there then two streams? Because there's two streams, so to speak, in Yiddishkeit. There's what God gives us, and there's human creativity. Teresh HaBiksav is what God gives us. Teresh HaBalpeh is, where Tzaddik says, what we give back to Hashem. A real relationship is never one way. It's two ways. There's what I give you, and there's what you give me. What I give you is not your creativity, it's my creativity. What you give me is your creativity. And this is why the Gemara says in Masech Baba Metziah that there was a whole debate about a Dafnun test. There was a debate about an oven known as the oven of Achnoi. Rebbe Lezis said it's Tahir. The Chachamim said it's Tameh. And the Baskel came out. A heavenly voice came out and said, Halach is like Rebbe Eliezer. So Yeshua got up on his feet and he said, Torah says in Chumash, Torah is not in heaven. In other words, heaven does not have the authority to interpret Torah. Torah was given down here to be interpreted by the Sanhedrin according to the laws of Torah, the formulas of Torah. We don't listen to a Baskel. We're not doubting that the Baskel came from Hashem. We're saying we're not obliged by the Baskel. Now, that itself is pretty heavy. So the Gemara says, one of them met Eliyahu and said, what did, Eli, what did Hashem do when Rabbi Yeshua said, we don't listen to God's voices that come from heaven? So he said, Hashem was laughing, he was quelling, and he said, Ah, my children triumphed over me, my children became victorious over me. My children were victorious over me. Teresh Abalper represents the creativity of the relationship, the human dimension of the relationship. He didn't just want to give and give and give and give, he wanted you should give back. Torah Shabbat is the Jew who takes Torah and makes it his own. He, so to speak, owns Torah. What does it mean he or she owns Torah? It means that the Torah becomes so internalized. It becomes part of me. I become an integral part of the relationship. I'm not only a mekabal, I'm not only a receiver. I'm, so to speak, a mashpia. I'm a giver in the relationship. 
They had to develop, they had to find, they had to excavate, they had to dig, they had to uncover, they had to create. Again, according to the formula of Teresh HaBiksav, but there's the whole dimension of Teresh HaBalpeh itself, has many different dimensions, what exactly is Teresh HaBalpeh? But all of the dimensions of Teresh HaBalpeh represent the Nitzchuni Bonai Nitzchuni. The child, the creativity of the child who, so to speak, triumphs over the father, over the mother, over the parent. Or as the Gemara says in Shavuos, Yofe Koyechaben Mikoyechaav. The power of the child becomes superior from the f- power of the child, e- of the father, even though your child comes from you. But sometimes your child grows far beyond you. As the Balatanya says, Yofe Koyechaben is Mikoyechaav. <laughs> that itself, that Yofe Koyechaben is also Mikoyechaav. That also comes from the father. That itself comes from the father. The child comes from the father. Even the ability of the child to transcend and go beyond his father also comes from the father. But by the father it was concealed. And the child brings it out. And therefore the father says, Ah, nitzchuni bonai nitzchuni. So even the fact that also comes from Hashem. It's also mikoyechav. The nitzchuni bonai is also an ability that comes from the father. But nonetheless, this is the power of Torah Shabbat, the creativity of the human being. And creativity, by definition, means I'm on my own. It's my creation, it's not your creation. And that's the meaning in Parshas Ekev. It says the Jews don't say, don't say, my own power is what generated all of this great success. Don't say, why? Because it comes from Hashem. What do we see from this Pasuk? The fact that you have to negate it, it means that Hashem wants you to use Koichi Vaitzim Yadi. If He didn't want you to be creative, then you can't say it's my creativity. He wants you to use your power. He doesn't want you just to be passive. And why does Torah even consider this as a thought? That it's your own and not God? Because there's the concept of Nitzchuni Bonai Nitzchuni. That yes, Koichi Vaitzim Yadi Asali. And yet we say that itself comes Mikayachav. That itself comes from the Father. So you have two dimensions in the Jewish experience. Says Reb Tzadik and here there was a major difference between Moshe's perspective and Betzalel's perspective. Moshe, who is the transmitter of Torah Shabbat for him, Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat are really the same. In Betzalel's world, in Betzalel's world, Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat are two different realities. The Pasuk says in Bereshis, The two great luminaries were created. And then, the next Pasuk, One is large, one is small. So the Gemara asks in Chul and Samach, Are they large or are they small? The famous Gemara, they were created as one. Both the same size. And then the moon had problems, and Hashem told the moon to diminish itself. So the Shalor writes, that the Shnei Ma'iris are Torah Shabiksav and Torah Shabalpeh. The sun and the moon represent the written Torah and the oral tradition. And just like the moon receives from the sun, and the moon has nothing of its own, the moon has no light of its own, it just reflects the light of the sun. Torah Shabalpeh, has nothing of its own. Again, if a Chachim of Torah Shabalpeh, a Rav, a Rebbe, a Shishiva, one of the Chazal, one of the Zen, gets up and says, I'm giving you my own Torah's Lakshin, it has nothing to do with Torah Shabalpeh, it has to do with his own issues. Which might fine, maybe a genius, maybe an interesting man. The prerequisite 
for Torah Shabbat to be called Torah is Leislam Migar Maklum. I have absolutely nothing of my own. All I seek to is to become a channel for truth of Torah. But for that, he, used to, he has to use his own creativity, he has to use his own mind. That's why there's so many machlaikas in the They weren't using their minds, there wouldn't be any debates. It's filtered through his mind, through his consciousness, through his soul, through his creative powers, through his way of understanding it. But it's ultimately Now the question is, which is Moir Hagadu, which is Moir Hakatan? Initially, when Hashem created it, they're exactly the same. There's no difference in Tereshav Baksam and Tereshav Alta. This is how the divine is communicated through Hashem, and this is how the divine is communicated through the human creativity, through the human mind. It's both equal. It's the way the divine communicates, what's called direct, and then there's how the divine comes out through human life, through human toil, through human struggle, through human trial, through human error, through human growth, through human creativity, through human development. They're both Mairus Agdailam. It's no difference. The Jew didn't look at Torah and say, Oh, this says in Chumash, this I do. This is Allah Chalamayshimisina. It came through the Achachmi Misara. This I don't do. This was the Tztukim. But in the Jewish mindset, it's Shnei Mairus Agdailam. And yet, the way it's processed in history, one is Mair Hagadal, one is Mair Hakatan. One is Leislamigar Maklum and one is the sun. On the contrary, if the moon starts feeling equal to the sun, it stops being the moon, stops being a Ma'ir Hagadal. The way it's processed through history is there's two different dimensions. One is direct, there's no argument, there's no disputes, there's no argument that Tefillin are black, and there's no argument that Shabbos is the seventh day, and there's no argument that a Priyat's Hadar is a citron and not a cherry or a blueberry or a kiwi. There's no arguments in that. But in thousands of other areas, there are plenty of arguments, plenty of debates. Because the process is a different process. But the way it comes out in history is, this is Ma'ir HaGadol, and this is Ma'ir HaKatan. In the world of Moshe Rabbeinu, who heard Torah Shabbat Pefem Hashem, Kol Mashatal Medvasik Asid Lechadish Hakol Nitin L'Moshem Yisina Di Yerushalmi, says in Megillah. Anything of Torah Shabbat Pefem Moshe heard on Sinai, for him, there's no distinction between the two. They remain Shnei Ma'aris Agdalim completely. But from the world of the Jewish people, where they have to work through their own mind, they live in a world where we don't know what Hashem wants. We don't know. Moshe sees Tereshe Ba'al But for the world of the Chachim, where they debate what truth is, they struggle with it. Here it's two different Torahs. This is Tereshe Ba'al This is Tereshe The Menorah represents the Eira Torah. So the Jews come to Hashem and they say, you need our light? You need our light? The blind person tells the one who sees, I don't understand, you have given us light. Why, you need now my light? He says, I don't want to remain indebted. I don't want you should feel indebted to me. I don't want you should think this is a one-way relationship. I want your creativity too. Ah, you're blind relative to me, but I want you to light a fire, even though that itself you're doing with my help. I took you to the house. But I still want you to know that you lit a fire. That's what the relationship is like. I want your creativity. That's the Menorah in the Beis Hamikdash. So the Gemara says in Meseches Menachos Chavtes that Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem to show him a shear of Rabbi Akiva. You remember the story, Chavtes Amit Beis Menachos, and he puts him at a shear of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is lecturing, and the Gemara says Moshe did not understand the shear. I said Moshe. Everyone there understood the shear besides Moshe Rabbeinu. Really? He would have been thrown out of yeshivas these days? 
He's the only one who didn't understand. Everyone understood. Rekiva was a great teacher. Moshe didn't understand. The Gemara says at the end, they asked Rabbi Akiva, Hominolach, where did you get this idea? And he said, Now Moshe was happy before he was very upset. So he says, What's Pshat? Pshat is Rabbi Akiva is the source of Torah Shabal Peh. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Kulu al-Libadi Rabbi Akiva. Moshe Rabbeinu Lohoya Yehideya, for him there was no distinction between the two. Torah Shabal Peh was not a separate entity by him. Torah Shabal Peh was Shnei Ma'eris Agdailam because he saw the whole Torah Shabal Peh in Torah Shabal So the entire struggle of Torah Shabal Peh, which was embodied by Rabbi Akiva, who for 40 years couldn't learn. And the way he learned how to learn was, it says in Ovesdi Reb Nossin, you know the story. He was standing at a brook and he saw a rock and he saw a dent in the rock that came from years and years of droplets of water falling on the rock. And he said, if a rock could be penetrated, I can also be penetrated. The ultimate human creativity to make from a rock, to create a dent in a rock. The Gemara says, when he was born, it was already the, the house was filled with light. He didn't wait till 40 years to discover olive bays like Rabbi Akiva. So when it comes to the Menorah, he says Moshe couldn't make the Menorah. The whole concept of the Menorah, that Jews are creating light for Hashem. What do you mean Jews are creating light for Hashem? We're going to light up God's house? Moshe says, how are we going to light up God's house? He's the source of light. Moshe doesn't know. Neskasha Moshe says, doesn't know how to make the Menorah. Who knows how to make the Menorah? Betzal. Betzal is Betzal, Kehl Ha'is. Betzal lives in a world of shadows. The light is blocked. The light is obstructed. That's why there's a shadow. There's no shadow if the light is shining. Wherever you see a shadow, because somebody or something is blocking the light. You could check the next time you see a shadow. Look at your own shadow, because you're blocking the light is coming from there. I'm blocking the light, so my body casts a shadow. It's the way I process light through darkness. How do you process light through darkness? That's Torah Shabbat. And that's why the whole Gemara, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Chavdalet, B'machshakim Hoishivani, you hear me, it says in Eicha, you pl- placed me in darkness. This is Talmud Bavli. Talmud Bavli is darkness. Rameir Shapiro, I once write this from a Yid who was there. Rameir Shapiro came to America to raise money for Yeshiva's Chachmi Lublin. So he was in a particular shul, and there were some people there who weren't happy with his appeal. So what did they do? Just like they do today, they shut the lights on him. In the middle of the lecture, they shut the lights. This was the early 30s, uh, late 20s. They shut the lights. So without, uh, without skipping a heartbeat, he says, Ah, now I understand the Gemara. When you're speaking real Torah, there has to be There's a place of darkness. You're in a state of darkness. But what's the Havana of this? The Havana of this is, that's what Torah Shabbat is. Torah Shabbat, you learn a shtikl Gemara, there's no clarity. Everything has to be constructed from the beginning. How do you reach the conclusions? You propose something, you reject it. You propose it again, you reject it. So you bring out this part, no, you reject it. Kashya, Tiyufta, Meisva. Another problem, another question. Alamai, this is it. And then you reach conclusion, and then that itself is still not clear. So the Rishonim get into a major debate. And after that, the Chreinim get into, into a bigger debate. And then Allah Alamaisa, there's nine different opinions. <laughs> So people get frustrated and they don't understand this is the beauty of Judaism. God says, I need your light. I want your light. 
I don't want you just to be indebted in this relationship. I need it to be creativity. And if this creativity and it's your light, there's going to be different opinions because that's what human beings are. We have diversified ways of looking at it. It's the beauty of seeing God filtered through the individuality of the human spirit. And when it's filtered through the individuality of the human spirit, it's never the same. Elu ve'elu divrei eloikim chayim. How could two opposite opinions be both words of the living God? God wants this, so He wants this. He agrees to Bishamah, He agrees to Bishamah. And the answer is, truth, the way it's it's conveyed through the human experience is never uniform. My truth can't be your truth. Of course there are certain truths that encompass all of reality. But there are certain truths that have to remain individual. Your truth can't be my truth. My truth can't be your truth. Why? Because my soul is rooted in its shayush and And people who feel that there's only one way, and there's one way, one perspective for everybody, are denying the fact that diversity is woven into the very fabric of Knesset Yisrael. The Dor HaFlaga wanted to make everybody the same. It doesn't exist. In Torah Shabbal Peh, Torah celebrates diversity. So the menorah is what the Jews give back, what the blind person gives back, so to speak. Moshe says, I don't know how to do this. I don't see what, what they're giving back. <laughs> it's all from him. It's all from him. Moshe is Pnei Chama. The Gemara says, Moshe is the secret of Torah Shabbat Pnei Yeshua, Eretz Yisrael, is Torah Shabbat Pnei Levona. In Levona, you already have the world of shadows, the world of darkness. It's not Midas Yoim, it's Midas Laila. Torah Shabbat is Midas Laila. Machshakim Hoshivani Zet Talmudah Shalbava. You with me? Toifus? Now let's get to the last piece. Now we come to the Mishkan and the Kalim. This was the argument. Now you'll see inside, hopefully you'll be understood. Pritzadik Balaisch, Vezeh Inyin. Moshe Rabbeinu also knows Torah Shabalpa. He also knows the Torah Shabalpa that he is creative with. But for him, in front of his eyes, he sees that it's all from Sinai. It's all from Sinai. He doesn't need a mishkan, he doesn't need a uh, container, an oitzer, a treasure box to place the ark. The Gemara says in Masechta Yuma, something fascinating. It says you had an aron, in the aron you put the luchas. The luchas represents Torah Shabbat The Ten Commandments of the luchas contain the whole Torah, as Rashi brings in the beginning of the Aserah Sadibras. The Ten Dibras represent the whole Torah, Torah Shabbat It says that the Aserah Sadibras have in them... Uh, 620 words, Tafresh Chaf Oisir, 620 letters, corresponding to the 613 biblical mitzvahs and seven rabbinic mitzvahs. So when you have the luchas in the Oren, who is carrying the luchas? The Talmud Chachem. The Torah scholar, the Torah sage, he carries the luchas. So the Pasuk says, Mi bayis the Oren had to be covered with gold from inside and from outside. So the Gemara says in Yuma, Kol Talmud Chacham, She'ein, Toichai Kabare. If you have a Talmud Chacham, that Toichai is not Kabare, meaning the inside is not the out, like the outside, Ein Talmud Chacham. He's not a Talmud Chacham. In other words, if a Talmud Chacham plays games, don't call him a Talmud Chacham. If on the outside, 
He is a great Talmud Chach. But on the inside, there's any type of agenda, which may be human. Don't call him a Talmud Chachim. A Talmud Chachim, by definition, is a person that he represents Torah. And the only way he can represent Torah is if his entire identity, as I said, is a conduit for Torah. You know, it's a very sad thing. Sometimes, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people come uh, come through uh, my door and they, it's often a very common story. It's called the story of disillusionment. People trust certain mentors, certain Talmudic Chachamim, because they believe that what comes out of their mouth is Torah. And sometimes they give them advice or they give them perspectives or they tell them certain things are forbidden. And at a later point in life, they discover that uh, there was no source for it, there was no basis for it. It was a distortion of halacha, a distortion of reality. And they didn't have the courage to ask, what's your source? There's a din in Chayshemish, but when a Rav says a halacha, you're allowed to ask two words. Meheichan dantuni. Just show me where. Show me where. And by the way, people ask me, how do I know if I could trust somebody? I said, always this is the parameter. You ask them advice, you ask them something, what's the right thing? They tell you. Just ask them two words. What's your source? You'll see different responses. One person will look at you with such disdain. They don't even have to say it. Their, their facial expression is... You don't want to take a video of this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Their facial expression is, where do you get the chutzpah to ask me what my source is? Who do you think you are? You're a baby. You're an illiterate. You're an amoritz. You're an idiot. You're a shaitab. You're questioning me. My source, you know who I am? They don't even have to say it. Sometimes they say it too. Sometimes they say it too, but just the facial expression. And bechlal, where do you get the chutzpah to ask me? Who even gave you a right? Then you have to be suspicious. Don't sell your soul. Don't sell your soul. And then there's another person who will very humbly go to the bookcase, open a safer, open it up, and point and say, Come, let's learn it together. Adirab. Let's learn it together. That's called a Talmud Chachem. He's a student of Torah, and he always remains a student. And therefore, mahu mafata as the Gemara says. I don't own it. I'm a student just like you. Maybe I had the privilege of learning a few extra years. Maybe I had the privilege of sitting by great teachers. Maybe I had the privilege of absorbing more wisdom. But I'm a student forever. And one student shares with another student. The moment that status changes, you have to be very careful. You have to be extremely careful. Sometimes the person will humbly say, this is what I remember. I don't know right now the source. Give me two days and I'll get back to you. Call me back. Let me look it up. Let me research it. And the real Talmud Chachem, as the Gemara says about Ravah, will sometimes look at you and say, Dvarim shamarti lifneichem biyodi. I made a mistake. I made an error. 
But the Gemara says, They say there was once a rabbi, somebody came to him and asked him if he could teach him Torah. He never learned anything. He was a secular person. He says, of course. He says, when? He says, come Monday, 8.30 p.m., we'll learn. He says, wow, and how much do you charge? He says, I charge. It's for free. It's for free. So he comes 8.30 p.m. The rabbi gives him a chumash and says, start reading. He says, I don't know how to read. That's why I came to learn. He says, ah, Hebrew lessons, $500 an hour. (laughs) The moment I start feeling that I own the information and therefore I could manipulate and who are you to ask me? Then I lost sight of the Pasuk Torah, Tzivalanu Moshe, Moirosha, Kehilas Yaakov. The Torah is a Yerusha of every Jew. And a Yerusha is even one day old baby. Chas V'Shalom, a one day old baby's father dies. And the father has $10 million in the bank. The one day old baby owns it. He may need an apotrophus. He may need somebody to take care of the money till he becomes 20. But he owns it. Torah, Tzivalanu Moshe, Moirosha means... That every Jew owns the whole Torah. Either Jew never read Hebrew in his life. Either Jew lives in a world where nobody ever taught him olive base. He doesn't own Torah any less than me. He may be a Yorish who's one day old. Maybe one day old biologically. Maybe one day old intellectually. In terms of Torah knowledge. But he doesn't own Torah any less than any other Jew. Moshe doesn't own Torah more than him. And the real Talmud Chachim knows that. And that's the attitude he displays. So if ain't if the bias and the chutz are not the same, ain't Talmud Chachem, he's not a Talmud Chachem. That's why the Medrash says in Vayikra, kol Talmud Chachem she'en das, nevele toivahimeno. Talmud Chachem without das, the corpse of an animal is better than him. Why is a corpse of an animal better than him? A nevele smells. Talmud Chachem who doesn't have das, in other words, he doesn't internalize Torah, it also smells. The reason he smells is because he contaminates wisdom that is really holy wisdom. Asks the Yafei Torah, why Nevela Toiva, Emeno? You should say he's like a Nevela. He says, because at least a Nevela stays in one place. <laughs> That's what he says. At least the Nevela doesn't walk around. Stays in one place. Doesn't make videos. Doesn't, doesn't, dis- doesn't walk around spreading spreading his odor. At least he stays in one place, you know, this is a novella. He says, some people, they walk around, they don't stop. This is the responsibility of a Talmud Chacham. Somebody who teaches Torah has to know the great responsibility, because the moment, the fact that he's human, no problem, we're all human, he can make mistakes, but be humble about your mistakes. Don't start associating yourself with God's absolute power. It becomes very, this is a great challenge many people have. They don't realize. They think that if they challenge a rabbi and they say, Mehechan Dantunni, they're an apikaitis. There's nothing, nothing wrong about it. You're supposed to. If you have a question, Mehechan Dantunni, and he's responsible to give an answer. He's responsible to show his sources. And he could say, this is my conclusion, and there may be another conclusion also. Nothing wrong. Humility is the prerequisite to trust the Talmud Chach. If there's real humility, genuine humility. The moment it's already your thing, it becomes very, very dangerous. So somebody once came to me, a whole Misa that happened in this. I said, I'm going to tell it to you once, and it's a very sad thing for me to say, but it's just the truth. I wish I wouldn't have to say it. And that is, we live in a world where you could never confuse Jews with Judaism. It would be very nice if you would be able to confuse Jews with Judaism, but you can't. You can't confuse Jews with Judaism. That's how it is. 
Some Jews live up to it and some Jews don't. And if you start confusing the two and you redefine Judaism based on this person and that person, you can be very, very disillusioned and get into a very bad mood very, very fast. You have to appreciate the fact that people are weak. And people have biases. That's how it is. We all have biases. The Gemara brings in, uh, in Ksuvis a whole sugya, an extraordinary sugya, that there were Tanoim and Amirayim who were helped by somebody across the street. And they said, I'm not going to be a judge by a Dintayla. Paslina lay Ledina, you made me puzzle for your din. Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Zechariah Levrach, who just passed away, so he was here a few months ago. His last shir, actually, he gave here by Shalashudas in a shul near where I live. So he said that uh, that uh, he was walking once with Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner, the Pachad Yitzchak, Rosh Yeshiva of Rabbeinu, Yeshiva of Rabbeinu Chaim Berlin. And uh, he had something on his collar, some lent or something that on his collar of his, of his kapata, of his coat. So he, Reb Meshavir took it off. So he looked at him and he said, Paslina Leiladina, quoting the Gemara, you just made me puzzle to, uh, to, to, to have you at a Din Taira. This was his way of thanking him. <laughs> you just made me puzzle for Din. You made me subjective. I'm not objective anymore. But it shows you how human bias works. So the Aaron is me bias or me The Aaron is the Talmud Chachem. And the Talmud Chachem contains the Luchas. So here's the argument. But Saul says, if you don't have a Mishkan, don't bring in the Aram. Don't bring in the Aram. You can't bring in the Aram without the Mishkan. Moshe says, well, you start with the Aram. Start with the Aram right away. What was the argument? Says Reb Tzaddik, what was the Mishkan? The Mishkan is the base Hashem. It's the Mokam Hashem. It's where God dwells. What does that mean, spiritually speaking? The Mishkan represents the place where the Shekhinah dwells, a place of Yira Shamayim, integrity, humility to God's will. But Saul says, you're, you're going to bring the Oren in without a Mishkan? You're destroying Judaism. You're going to trust Talmidei Chachamim, Aroinus, if they're not surrounded by a wall of Yira Shamayim? If they're not completely selflessly dedicated to truth, you can't have such an aron. It could become the greatest source of distortion. They'll take the luchas and manipulate it and destroy it and distort it. They'll make a new religion and blame it on God. Whether willingly or unwillingly, but they'll be distorted. They'll be sources of distortion. You only have to have an aron if you have, you can only have an aron if you have a mishka. From Moshe Rabbeinu's perspective, this is not an issue. Let's see. Zakhtar Tzadik. Moshe lehutzach mishkan v'aitzalam adon. He doesn't need a mishkan for the Aaron. Sha Aaron shubchinis teira shabal peh hayegam kinetz like my teira shabiksav mefurish halachem isina. From Moshe the Aaron, which represents the Talmud Chachem, who it produces teira shabal peh. For him, it's just like the luchas of teira shabal. Just like nobody can distort the luchas. What are you going to do to the luchas? What are you going to do to the text of Chumash? You can't distort Teresh HaBiksav. Why? Because we have a clear tradition. The cipher has to copy letter by letter, word for word from a previous Sefer Torah, back, back, back to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's one of the great realities about our Sefer Torah, 
that the precision and the meticulousness more or less was held up for 3,300 years because it's copied from a previous one. Jews don't argue about, I mean, we managed to argue about that too, but generally speaking, Torah Shebeksav's text is sacred. Torah Shebaal they don't stop arguing. Till today, 3,300 years later, they don't stop arguing about everything. That's the nature of Torah Shebaal It warrants argument. It needs it. Because it's about human creativity. Be'shamay be'shilu. Rabbi Yehuda Reb Meir. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Akiva, Bayer Rover, Rav Shmuel, Rabbi Yochanan Rishlokish, Rabbi Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Nenabashi. Talking about Chachmei Torah Shabalpa. And so throughout the generations. Sfardim Ashkenazim, Rambam and Rashi, Rabbi Nutam and Zayda, the Rajba and the Ritva, the Mechab and the Ramad, the Shach and the Taz, the Mogan Avram and the Bach, etc. The, 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 <coughs> the Mechabolim and the Poiskim. That's the nature of Torah Shabalpa. Is it less divine? Real Torah is never less divine. But the nature is it comes filled with arguments. But from Moshe's perspective, the Oren and the Luchas are exactly the same. The Luchas can't be distorted, the Oren can't be distorted. Of course you start with the Oren. Betzalel represents Torah Shabalpeh. And he goes there at length. Betzalel is the son of Uri, the son of Khuri, comes from Miriam. Betzalel was a grandson of Khur, who was the son of Miriam. In other words, Betzalel comes from the Shairish of Miriam. Lamata Yehuda, it's the Shairish of David, which is Torah Shabalpeh. Betzalel, they hold Mechadshimidaitam. They look at themselves and what do they say? We're being Mechadish, we're being creative from our own das, from our own mind. They don't see the light. They can't get up and say, this is what Hashem told Lemoshim Messina. They don't have that access. They have to hodavan, shtaig with sweat, blood and tears. And if it's a real chacham, if it's a real Talmud, he's mechavin to Moshe Messina. But he doesn't have the clarity of what Moshe told Sina. He's using the best of his prowess in order to reach the truth. It was a maestro with the Noida Behudu. They did Noida Behudu, Rebbe one of the great poiskim of his generation. I heard this story from the Lubavitcher Rebbe like four or five times. He liked tell, telling over the story. When he was chosen to the Rav as a Rav of Prague, in, in, uh, he was the Rav of Prague, so he had tremendous opposition. And there was a group who tried to disprove and delegitimize him. So once they came to him when they were the, deciding whether to appoint him or not, and they came to him with two questions. And one question he answered as I immediately... And the next question, he thought and he answered, and it, happened, it was very, very complicated. It happened to be that it was a problematic answer, it was an erroneous answer. So they came and they said, you see, he doesn't know how to learn. doesn't know how to learn. So the Nehdebi Huda immediately said, he said, the first question was Negea Lemaise, right? And the second question was not. The first question was a practical one, it was relevant. Second question was theoretical, they said, yeah. So how do you know? He said, I want to ask a question. You think you come to a Rav, you ask a question in Halach, and he answers. And that becomes the Halach, and that's what you have to do. And when you're doing it, you're doing what Hashem wants. The question is, he knows what Hashem wants. How can he know what Hashem wants? And what if he forgot something? He's a human being. A human being makes mistakes. This becomes Ratzon Hashem. This becomes Halacha. This becomes the Psak. The Pshat is, he says, if he's a real Rav, if he's a real Tamad Chach, 
and his entire agenda is just to express the truth of Torah. And you ask him what to do, it's not him. So he has a sayata deshmaya, that Hashem helps him, that he should say the truth of Torah. He says, when you ask me something, Lamaisa, have sayata deshmaya. When you ask me something theoretical here, it's about my genius. My genius, I make mistakes. So they knew this is somebody you have to appoint. This is somebody you can appoint. He says, I'm not here to prove my genius. I make mistakes. You ask me, Allah Chalamaisa, something else is happening. But the word of how he looked at it, his perspective, immediately he said, I'm not, it's not about the trivia, trivia questions. I'll prove my genius. You know, they used to do with the needles, put in the needles to see if the guy could uh, find every word on the page. So, Betzalel says, no, 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 no. You don't put the urine anywhere. If you don't first protect it by walls of a mishkan, by a roof. What is that roof? I am God who dwells in the Mishkan. That's my house. He is protected by a wall of integrity, by a wall of fear of heaven. Literally, he really has a God. He really, really has a God. There's no ego here. There's no power. Power. Uh, uh, what's the word? Okay. He's not hungry for power. You first need the Mishkan. The Aron represents the Kaili that holds Torah. Who is the Kaili that holds Torah? The Talmud Chachem. The one who develops Torah Shabal Peh. That's why the Gemara in Yuma compares the Talmud Chachem to the Aron. Yuma Dafayin Beis. I'm going to take a Talmud Chach, I'm going to take a Nun. Where do you want me to put him? Where do you want me to, what do you want me to do with him? If I don't have a Mishkan, I can't put him down. We can't establish him as authority. Never. What do you want me to do with this Aaron? It's worthless. It's meaningless. It's pointless. It's a genius. Geniuses are geniuses. I can't worship a genius. I see you know the shadow of Hashem. You, you capture the secret of which is not it's the contribution of the Jew. And whenever there's a contribution, whenever there's creativity, there's independence. And whenever there's independence, there's autonomy. And whenever there's autonomy, there's always room for distortion and corruption. That's the beauty of a relationship. The beauty of a relationship with somebody else is not that they always do what you say, is that they do their own thing and they make mistakes. That's the beauty. Mistakes are an integral part of the relationship. Why? Because it means that you're on your own. If you control your company, you don't let anybody do anything, nobody will ever make mistakes, but no thing will ever be accomplished outside of yourself. I was once in a yeshiva, the principal felt he had to change the light bulbs himself. That's how much he didn't trust anybody. If you cannot delegate, if you will always hold your child's hand and never allow him to walk on his own, he will never fall. He will never fall, but he will also never ever learn to walk and never ever learn to run. 
You can always have a bicycle with training wheels, and he will never fall off his bike, never get a scratch, never get a black and blue mark, never cry. But he will never, ever be able to go anywhere on his own. Some people have that philosophy. They want the chick to remain in the nest forever. And if the chick grows wings and wants to fly, they take the wings and they clip the wings. Because if I clip your wings, you'll remain in the nest forever. It's wonderful. You'll never rebel. You'll never distort. You'll never have any ideas on your own because you always remain in the nest. But as a mother and a father, you're failing your chick because their job is to fly and create new nests and new offspring. But when they fly, they encounter challenges and obstructions. But sail kail in the world of darkness, there is, that's where Torah Shabal Peh triumphs. That's where Torah Shabal Peh emerges. It was clear in front of his eyes. From Moshe. All of Torah Shabal Peh is all Torah Shabiksav. It's all Yoim. It's all light. It's not a shadow. It's all the name of Hashem. For him, there's no difference between the Luchas and the Oren and any of the other Kalim. For him, there's no difference between the Luchas. And the Oren. Between the Torah and the Talmud Chachem. Between Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Between the divine communication and the human creativity. They're really one. The Nitzchuni, Bonai Nitzchuni, is also divine. So therefore he couldn't comprehend that the Mishkan has to be built before the Oren. But Salah tells him, Minega Oilam. You live in a world of light. We live in a world of Oilam, in a world of concealment. In the world of concealment... You have to have a Mishkan before you have an Aaron and Kalim. In a world of, of concealment, if you don't have a Mishkan first, then you can't trust the Aaron. You don't put down the Aaron. You don't celebrate the Aaron. You have to have a Mishkan first. So the truth is, we have again here two perspectives. And obviously, Elu Ve'elu Divrelikim Chayim. Moshe's perspective remains the true perspective. The real perspective. Moshe is articulating the truth. Shnei Moshe's Akdailim. All of our creativity in life is also divine. All of your decisions and your choices, including your mistakes, which you grow from, it's all your process of the relationship. That is also part of your divine experience. It's also your connection to Hashem. You connect to Hashem through two ways, by connecting to Him and by being independent. Your independence is also divine. Your independence and autonomy is essential to the relationship. Because he doesn't want to be connected by only giving. He wants to be connected by also receiving. I don't want to always you to feel that you're indebted. Life is about a relationship, reciprocity. What can we give to Hashem? What can the blind person give to Hashem? This is Torah Shabalpa. This is the Menorah, lighting the Menorah. I want you to give me light. I want your light. I want your creativity. Nitzchuni, bonai nitzchuni. Ein mashgichen bebaskal. This is the whole institution of Torah Shabbat. The glorious insistence of Judaism that man and God are in a genuine relationship. That creation is about Hashem Kevayachal making himself vulnerable and saying, I will give you my light, but I need to see your light. And the two lights are really one. Because that light is also his light. 
the way it's channeled through ourselves. is But in our journey, in our journey, it's Mayur Hagadal Mayur Hakatan. Creativity, by definition, is fraught with challenge. Creativity, by definition, is fraught with setbacks, with failure, with stumbling blocks. When I want to emerge in this world and I want to find myself, I have to get lost first. <laughs> I'll finish with a story from the Tzanzer of the Hilikat Tzanzer of the Divrei Chayim. He once said that there was once a, uh, a fellow who uh, went traveling in the wilderness. He went traveling in the desert. And uh, in the process, he got lost, like all the good stories. And he's lost for three days and three nights, and he can't find his way out. And finally, he sees a lantern. And he runs over to the lantern and he sees somebody's holding a lantern and he assumes this man knows his way and he says, please, please help me. How do I get out of this wilderness? The man says, how long have you been lost? He says, three days. He says, and I have been lost for three months. So he says, is there any way you can help me? He says, I can't tell you how to go out of this place. I could tell you how not to get out of this place. I have experimented with so many different paths I can't tell you where to go. I can tell you where not to go. That's the contribution I can give to you. So Chaim said, so he said, if that's the case, let's hold hands and let's find a new path together. Then there is a version of the story that he added something else. I guess there's two ways to end the story. Depends the message you want to bring out. The man said to him, if you don't know the way out, you could just tell me where not to go out, which is, of course, a form of expertise also. Why are you holding a lantern? Why are you holding a lantern? What's the point? So he says, I would lit a lantern because I don't know my way out. But I hope that by lighting a lantern, somebody else will find me. Somebody else will see me and take me out of here. So he said, in life, you have different experts. You have a lot of experts who tell you what to do. Usually they don't know what to do. He says, the good experts, all they could tell you is what not to do. <laughs> they made enough mistakes in life to tell you what not to do. And with humility, they say, let's search for a new way together. But wherever you are, he says, you have to light a light. Not because you know the way out. Because when you light a lantern, somebody else will find you. Truth will find you and get you out of here. That's the process of Midas Laila. That's the process of Betzel Kael. Whether in the first interpretation, you don't know the way out, but light a lantern. Create Kalim, create things, create projects, do. And, and the dream will find you. The inspiration will find you. And that's the process. I don't have the clarity, but I create the light. Midas Laila, I create the light. Betzel Kael, Yisa. I create the light. That's the light of Tereshabal Peh. That's the light. Once you create that light, so then truth finds you. Then you often reach the truth. You often reach clarity. Have a wonderful week. How, how does it uh, uh, explain the Aymarivunashalema? Um, um, which is if, if the Tanya is saying that it's a piece of Hashem. It's Shalom, no, it's Shalom already, no? Yeah. Shlema means that it permeates the whole person.
You're asking a good question. Why is it called a Munish Lema? It's already Shalom. It's already Shalom. Why is it called a Munish Lema? It's already Shalom. Because the Munna comes from the Neshama, the Neshama experiences Hashem. Excellent. The answer is, Amunna Shlema means it's wholesome. What's Pshat? It's wholesome. Not that the Amunna is wholesome, that the Amunna permeates the whole person. Amunna Shlema, what makes the Amunna Shlema? That the Amunna penetrates the person Bishlemusa. Because very often my Neshama can have Amunna. But I don't experience my Neshama. There's too many blockages in my soul. But Muna Shlema means that the Muna permeates the person completely. That even the With complete certainty. A Muna is like Imun, Imun, trust. Complete certainty. A Muna means certainty. There's no doubt. It's not 50%, 80%, 55%. Sometimes what we call belief is, I believe you, I believe you. Am I sure? If somebody asks me questions, I may not believe you. Blind faith. But that's not what a muna is. A muna means it's certain. A muna shleima is it's absolute certainty. And much more than that, shleima means it permeates the whole person. Because the muna could sometimes have blockages. The Rambam says in Hilchas Malachim, Somebody doesn't believe in Mashiach who doesn't await his coming, he's a kaifer in Torah. You could say if somebody doesn't believe, he's a kaifer. He doesn't wait for it, he's a kaifer. I don't wait for it, I'm a kaifer. It's very fascinating. You could say you don't believe in it, you're a kaifer. I don't wait for it. I'm emotionally not involved. I don't wait for it. A lot of people don't wait for Mashiach. They have a good life. They're fine. It could be that that's the animam in Bermuna Shlema. If a person is really aware of what Mashiach is, if he's only a human being, it's not possible that he shouldn't be Mechakal Rabbi Yassi. So you have a Jacob, so now you go home now? No. I'm sorry. If a person is really... Likewise, and a wonderful week. If a person is really aware of something of that nature, it can't be that they're not mechakal unless they're not really aware of it. If I know that this is a reality and it could happen, I await it. And it can happen any day, I await it. So if there's real amunah shleim, in other words, it permeates me. It's not just in my neshama. So then there's mechakal abiyasa. Yeah. What the, the, is it the there's a muna lower than das, just I believe you, you right. know. There's a muna that is das, and then there's deeper than das. I wrote him a nice letter. Yeah. I don't even have a chance because I'm so busy with the daily 
Like, yeah. okay, so when is it going to come? So my question is, when doing the daily things without even connecting it to my dreams, the dreams are going to fall in? Well, listen, you, you always try to align your daily activities with your dream, but right. often life just takes over. Right. So if we're involved in things in life that are really important, then the dream will emerge. Uh, even though, <coughs> to me, it doesn't look connected. Yeah, often. But you want to make sure you're investing your time in things that are really valuable to you. Sometimes I, I don't even have a chance to right. invest because I'm busy. But right. the dream stays there. Like, I don't change it. I, I want it. Yeah. It's like the light. You can't stay with the light. You gotta go yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I used to be a chavrusa in Arsenea with uh, guys who were in basic Gemarish learning. And what I want to ask the question, which is very relevant to the today, but I want to get a clear, concise answer. The question is, it's, we're learning Gemara. It's supposed to be Torah. It's from God. It's truth. All I'm seeing is arguments. How would you answer that? Excellent question. Gemara is truth. It's, it's Torah. Dvar Hashem. All I see is arguments. The answer is, the truth of God that's articulated in Gemara is the truth that's filtered through the human mind that dedicates itself wholeheartedly and unwaveringly, unwaveringly to decipher the truth of God articulated in Teresh HaBaksaf. Again, Teresh HaBaksaf is the truth of God that's filtered through the human mind, but not just an egotistical human mind, a human mind that is wholeheartedly and unwaveringly committed completely and absolutely to decipher what is the truth of Hashem's word conveyed in Teresh HaBaksaf. By definition, when God's voice is filtered through that vehicle, there are going to be arguments, which is why Teresh HaBaksaf tells us, Achirei Rabbim Lahatis, we should follow the majority. And Teresh HaBaksaf tells us, Ki Yipoli when you don't know what to do, you should go to the, to the court. And the court will have arguments and they follow the majority. Why is Teresh HaBiksav saying follow the majority? Let me tell you, we don't follow the majority that an esrog is, 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 is an esrog and not an orange. If, if Bezdin tells us it's an orange, you don't listen to them. Because we have a lochel of Hashem Yisina. We're not going to follow the majority that fill in a black. But we will follow the majority, the order in which to put in the parashis of tefillin. Rashi has one view, Rabbeinu Tam has another view. The halach is like Rashi. Even though many put on Rabbeinu Tam, but the halach in Shulchan Aruch is like Rashi. Why is Torah telling us follow the majority view? Because by nature of the way it's communicated through the human mind, Beishamai had one perspective, the way he saw things. Hillel had another perspective. If I'm using my mind, by definition, my mind is not, doesn't work like your mind. Not because you're right and I'm wrong. Because everything has different perspectives. It says in Zoyer that Shammai came from Gvura and Hillel came from Chesed. Which one is true? There's people who operate with Midas HaChesed, with Midas HaGvura. Midas HaChesed is kind, Midas HaGvura is more disciplined. And the answer is, it's not one is a true truth and one is a lie. There's a time for Chesed, there's a time for Gvura. There's an experience that warrants Chesed, there's an experience that invites Gvura. Both are Emes. There's a time to discipline, there's a time to love. The Kahela says, right, there's, there's a time to hug and there's a time to reject. There's a time for war, there's a time of peace. 
there's a time to fight and there's a time to to, to, to not fight. I mean, there's a time to stay together. I mean, we all know in life there's, there's different truths. Some souls are more uh, organically connected to this. Some are more this. Hashem encompasses all colors. But there's blue and there's red. Blue is not a lie and red is not true. Blue is blue and red is red. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Jigsaw puzzle is a good example. The piece of art, the picture, can only emerge through different types of pieces. If every piece is the same, you're not going to have the art of the jigsaw puzzle. You're not going to have the picture. Why can they all be the same? Because by definition, in order to allow the bigger picture to emerge, everyone has to give a different piece. So the truth of Torah emerges through this opinion and through this opinion and through this perspective and through this perspective and through this angle and through that angle. And from all of them together, you gain a much larger truth, a much deeper truth. If you just pluck out one opinion and say, this is the only truth, you're actually detaching yourself from truth. Debate is an integral part of, of conveying the truth because you have to see it from different angles. Then there's halacha. Then there's how I do it in practicality. That can only be one. I can't do two opposite things. But in thought, there's this. Uh, did I answer the question? He's saying, So Moshe already knew it from Sinai. Yeah. But the main question wasn't answered. If Even the truth is like this. I don't know if it's not Pshad and Moshe heard every Allah. But it's Pshad, the Yisoidus, he heard from Sinai. So he saw in every Nikud of Teresh he saw it, he saw the Sinai of it. The second, the main question wasn't answered. If if Moshe changed what I just said, then the whole toy gets weaker. <laughs> yeah. So the toy yeah, okay, is good, good why he changes, but technically, right. Hashem, especially no, the toys was that the Arabs just yeah, yeah, yeah. that order. Yeah, that's what I said. Hashem is Lamailam and Azman. When Hashem speaks, yeah, by we, I, you said this first, you said this second. When Hashem speaks, yeah, it's beyond time. It's not like Hashem speaks in a tape recorder and then it's an order. So when Moshe experiences Devar Hashem, that's how he gave it over. That's how he gives it over. This is his experience of it. And Mitzad, his world, this is Tachlus Ames, not a distortion. So then. Oma loy You're right. Moshe says, Betzel Kele Yisa. That's what Hashem said. In other words, that's what Hashem wanted. That's what Hashem wanted. Of course, yeah. I mean, Al Pipshat, you understand? That for somebody to say, Moshe heard one thing, he said, you know what? I'm doing opposite. <laughs> but Saul says, what are, what, are you, what are you talking about? Oh, you're right. And, and if he really distorted, yeah, let him go all the way. But Saul says, that's what Hashem said? Yeah. If Kivayachal Chas V'Shalom, he's lying, it's a lie. People, it's an honest guy, do you understand? They say, Moshe distorted. So distort. Why are you backing off? You have an agenda. So stay to your agenda. Stick to your agenda. But Salil doesn't have a, a connection to God directly. He asks you what Hashem said. Say, this is what he said. Oh, it's not what he said. You're already distorted. So continue. Suddenly Moshe did tshuva. You understand? Yeah. 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 I spoke about the Levuna and the, and the Chama. Yeah. So you said that... That a person has to run like the a person that runs like the Levuna. Yeah. The minute he he feels yeah. so he, he's not a Levuna anymore. He, he's right. supposed to be a Levuna. Right. I don't have to. 
You mean a few weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, whatever. I heard, uh... No, in other words, the Levana feels that it's missing. Right. It, it needs light. It's yearning for light. No. Yeah. If the Levana would feel that the missing of light is its shlemos, right. <laughs> it wouldn't feel that it's missing. <laughs> so how does it work? <laughs> That's the word. In other words, I'll give you should always. You should always know You're that, but you should always feel that whatever's happening to you is coming from the Abishta. But the, the, the yeah. second you're in that state... But you don't say, you say on something's dynamic and something's a toiva meitiv. You don't say a toiva meitiv, right? It's like a toiva meitiv. Because there's a dim, there's, is not some chastayva. You don't say the same thing. person goes to the Levi, you start dancing. Some chastayva start crying. Tisha B'Av, put in the Zalbazach. So Tisha B'Av, let's, 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 you know, let's celebrate. Yeah, but the, mindset, the, the answer is, life, uh, because the challenges are, are really... We know that when a Shama passes away, it goes to Gan Eden. It's a wonderful place, and it's not suffering. But down here, there's grief. There's a void. I can't speak to the person. I can't see the person. I can't have the person. Because we grasp reality through our five chushim. We don't live in Gan Eden. And that experience is part of Taira. <laughs> we didn't make that experience. That's part of Taira. So we acknowledge that, and we pay tribute to it, and we respect that. On a deeper perspective, the Neshama is a perfect place. But from our human perspective, there's grief, there's Avelos. And that's the way it is with everything that happens. Ampurim is Adu, lo yada is matonis lavyayinim. The Oni and the Asher are the same. The Oni is Margish. Yeah, shouldn't we be working on, on the whole year being in that matter? Okay. It's, it's a certain year. The Oni is an Oni. If the Oni feels like the ocean, <laughs> you won't be an Oni anymore. Yeah, but that's the word. Okay, know. if we'll start putting my guns here. No, you know, when a person is, uh, he's, he's down. I said, the man should have done about him in Schwarz. Schwarz Mazolos. Yeah. So, they're constantly trying to work on, uh, on some kind of being, getting out of the, that state. So you're saying that, yeah, be, Kelly, accept the state that you're in. But shouldn't you be working to get out of that state? No, you work to get out of your state, but there's a struggle. And I have to respect that struggle. I can't make believe there's no struggle, there's no pain. Respect it, but, uh, but it's there. Yeah. That's the point. I have to be happy with it. I accept it. Happy. I have to appreciate that my purpose includes to work it through. Part of my purpose in life is to work it through. To work it through. Lay slumigar maklum. Levana feels it doesn't have. There's an expression in Chazal. Mayim tachtoinim boichin anan bi'inim lemeve kadamalka. When Hashem separated the water on Monday, so the lower water is crying, I want to be on top. I want to be. Baruch Kvoid Hashem in Kaimai. It's brought in the Mekabalim, Sifriya Kabbalah, Rosh Tevis. Boichim. Baruch Kvoid Hashem in Kaimai. Because Mayim Tachtainim are crying, they want Kvoid Hashem in Kaimai. Mayim Tachtainim Boichim, Anam Binam Mevikadamalk. So Hashem promised the Mayim Tachtainim that they're going to be used for Nisachamayim. And salt on all the carbonas. He didn't bring them back to Al He left them at Achtayna. That's your avoid. That's your avoid. 
And the boichim is part of the avoid. The moment they stop boichim, the moment they say, Oh, my, I'm I'm supposed to be here. Great. The moment they don't feel the void, then they have no purpose. Their purpose is they feel the void and they yearn to transcend it. And that's how they fulfill their purpose. But they stay there. But they stay there. The moment they start feeling that they're just like the Elyonim, there's no Boichim anymore. Even though they're talking just like the Elyonim. Because that's their Shlichus, that's their Tachlus. That's their Dveikus. It's very subtle. Yeah. In Sifri Chaban, it's brought that this was Kairach's mistake. The Noyam Elimelech says, Why did they give it? Huh? Chafal of Father. Yard said, Noyam Elimelech. Vayikach Kairach says the Targum, Vispalik Kairach. Zog the Noyam Elimelech, Alderech, Vihirakia, Vimavdil, Vimayam Lamayam. Ispalik Kairach, Kairach made a Havdola, the Havdola of Monday between the higher water and the lower water, that was Kairach. He says, Kairach said, Kola Eda Kulum Gdosha. Maduat is Naswal Kalasha. Moshe and Aaron are like Mayim Lyayna. They're in heaven. Regular people are Mayim Tachtayna. They lurk in Elam Haz. Maduat is Naswal Kalasha. It's the same thing. But Toycham Hashem, the Ebrist is Dart and Mervidah. Mayim Tachtayna. Shnei Moshe Sakdayla. Yeah, you took a fell down below. So what? This is where you're supposed to be. Darizal says that La'asid Lavi Kairach will be right. La'asid Lavi Vahoya Oira Lavana Kairachama will be in this gala that Tayyush Abalpa is just like Tayyush Abiksav. No difference. Shnei Maris Agdailam. But Bismana Zen from Kairach is a Khurban. Because the moment Mayim Tachtainim stinks, that it's just like Mayim al and there's no frustration, there's no yearning anymore. It ceases to be able to do what it's supposed to do. And then it becomes Taka Mayim Tachtainim. As long as it remains Tachtin, it's al The moment it becomes an al a Taka becomes a Tachtin. The Herst, that's the word. Yeah. Ah, dying. Mr. Gutter Designer. I thought it'll be to yeah. cinema. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Ich habe mal gehört von der alten Papa Ruf, so kleine Lovracha. 
Amal Flagendach, the principles from yeshivas and the deans, the heads of the yeshivas, and the other yeshivas, they charge very high tuition, or the kehila, whatever, so it's easier. But Amal, the problems of Havas, Zakta, the din is, Amahargit Ayid B'Shaygik, Tafmengen and Galos. Most principles, to the office, and they kill them. <laughs> they kill them. They destroy them. <laughs> he heard it from him. Because they insult the kids. Then the Rambam Paskin, as of Shehikes Bnoi, or Rav Shehikes Talmidoi, as part of the process, he was trying to teach. And he hit, and by mistake, he didn't realize the kid, Rahman Lustan, that he doesn't have to go to Golis. So he says, he says, but the administrator and the principal, who gave him a right? He says, the, the, the teacher falit Chamal, you know, it's a classroom, I've had Meshuggah, he's anxious. Okay, fine. <laughs> but the principal who gave him a right to kill a child that I've gained in Golis. Shine? The Alta Poperov. Was it because from Gavriel Tzina? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Gavriel Tzina Talmud. Was it because from him? It came from his mouth. Is it a proper chassidim? Is it? Starke Wort, nein? This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.